Today, we will finally answer one of the most controversial questions our society has ever had to ask. Who would win in a fight between a grilled cheese sandwich and a taco? Prison rules, of course. I'm Troy Sauer. Brian Anderson. And this is Not a Bomb. Welcome back, everybody, to Not A Bomb Podcast. It's your favorite movie podcast where we go back and talk about the movies that bombed and see if they deserve a second chance. Brad, we're in week two of the Lonely Island filmography. Uh, yes. pre- pretty interesting so far. <laughs> yeah, we these are uh, quite the turn. So, Brigsby Bear, uh, produced by the Lonely Island. This one, they're all over this one. So, uh, we're, we're knee-deep in it now. So... Yeah, so we we did talk in length at the last episode kind of what The Lonely Island is. I, for the longest time, had just thought they did music videos for Saturday Night Live. This uh, this film that we're talking about from 2007, Hot Rod, which was your pick, mm-hmm. they directed, uh, helped in the writing process, they produced it, they star in it. So they're all over this one compared to Brigsby Bear where we had, you know, a little bit of a, a cameo roll into it, and then they produce that one. But this is full-on Lonely Island this comedy. This is full-on Lonely Island. Yep. Okay. Uh, not a first-time watch for either of us, correct? Oh, no. Oh, no. No. Okay. I I have a long history with this movie. Um, this was the second movie my wife and I ever watched together. Uh, the first time I was let into her, into her apartment, she and I watched this movie uh, because... At the time, I was like, "Wow, there's another person in this world who has hot rod." Um, and so, oh, she owned it. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. On DVD. DVD. Yep. Well, I have a question for you. So the the premise of this film it all centers around a character's fascination with evil Knievel. and now you're talking my generation, right? So in the '70s, because he. He was very popular late sixties going into the seventies with all of the, the stunts and everything that he did. Are you, are you familiar with evil Knievel or just I, know about I him on a am, service level? But I've never was a huge evil Knievel guy. Like that was a little bit before my time. Obviously I know evil Knievel just through osmosis, but never seen. I don't know if I've ever seen a stunt that he's done or anything like that to be honest with you. Okay. Well, there, there's a great documentary. So what's funny is watching hot rod. It, it did kind of take me back to the whole seventies. Cause you have to remember being a kid in the seventies. I mean, you had star Wars, which is the big deal, but you also had, you know, smoking the bandit and you just had these films and uh, pop culture that the stunt man was sort of a big deal, which is probably where my fascination of like Jackie Chan comes from. But in the 70s, you know, the coolest thing you could do is probably have a CB radio, have a Burt Reynolds mustache, 
uh, ride a Harley Davidson and jump school buses because that's what Evil Knievel's doing. And the hottest toy at that time. It's smoke it's smoke uh, a million cigarettes. While smoke a million cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was totally healthy back then. But <laughs> you, you, like one of the coolest toys outside of the Star Wars toys was always this Evil Knievel stunt motorcycle. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but um, it it was yeah. like one of the best things you could ever. Is like it the you one were the where cool you pulled kid. back and it would go and it did the wheelie or whatever. Yeah, or well, but yeah, one? he yeah. could stand on the handlebar. I mean, he he oh, could recreate yeah. all yeah. of the evil Knievel stunts. See, my my generation, I grew up Super Dave Osborne. That was my yes. stuntman of choice. Oh, that was yeah, and that was. It's funny you bring that up. That was the last film I watched with my father before he passed the uh, Super Dave Osborne film because he was he was a really? big fan of that too. So okay, yeah, it, we watched it in a healthcare facility, so it wasn't the best. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, so you know, it's it's not like one of those films I immediately go back and rewatch because it does yeah, bring I can back. Ima- some, I can imagine, yes, yes, yeah. After you know, after watching that with him, and then next day getting the news but uh yeah we we were big fans of that i was your like people fascinated with stunts we had evil knievel and then you already brought like super dave osborne which i think was still like an 80s thing uh-huh. what about jackass and and though you know those shows that are on mtv which were again stunts gone wrong but i i feel like it still had that evil knievel spirit i mean heck johnny knoxville produced a documentary i want to say like back in 2015 called being being evil. Um, yes, I, which, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Which I watched a little bit of it this weekend, just to, as a refresher. Uh, were you, were you a fan of Jackass at all? You know, that's funny. I never, I, I never would have categorized Jackass as stuntmen, but you're totally right. They are setting up stunts and doing stunts. I was thinking more of it is just like guys being dumb and doing dumb stuff, but uh, you know, What's a stuntman, if not someone who's a little bit on the crazy side? Um, yeah, I, I I definitely enjoy Jackass. Um, some of the things uh, take it a little too far for me. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm i kind of disappointed I haven't been able to see that new Jackass in the theater because they keep delaying it uh, because I saw all the other ones in theater. So yeah, I, I guess, you know, outside of Dave, Super Dave, Jackass would be the, the stunt thing that I would go to the most. But when I was thinking about stuntmen, like you were saying, Johnny Knoxville doesn't really come up um, in my mind, but you're totally right. He is like, he's definitely is. Um, so yeah. did, <laughs> now I'm kind of like, Oh yeah, that's obvious. Well, yeah, I, I, I think, I think jackass is really the, you know, the modern day evil can evil, but where evil can evil is really trying to like land those stunts. But if you go back and, and watch the documentary, read about it there and watch the footage on YouTube because all of his stuff was recorded. And, you know, there was a show um, back at that time. The was it ABC's Wide World of Sports? Wide World of Sports. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think out of the top 10 episodes of that series, the Evil Knievel stuff is like the is seven of the top 10 spots. So the footage of all his jumps and crashes, it, it very easily accessible, especially at the Internet. But I feel like Jackass is really trying to emulate that, but ensure that it fails versus it succeeds and draws yeah, or, comedy out of it. Or, yeah, draw the comedy out for sure. Um, but there's a showmanship to that. And just like yeah. uh, Evil Knievel was definitely a showman. So, yeah, yeah he was. An interesting comparison. 
he, I never would have. I never would have connected those dots. To be honest, with you me. should really go back and watch that documentary because Knoxville has a, a obviously an appreciation for that time period because uh, he's about my age and he grew up in you know that same you know pop culture. But uh, I, the other question I have for you because I got to know, growing up, did you ever try any stunts yourself with like your your BMX bike? I, did you have a BMX bike or were you like a? 10 oh speed? yes, yes, I had like the one that had the pegs on it and all that stuff. Yes, I had a a legit BMX bike. Yes, all the time. And, okay. Um, my house in my in my parents' neighborhood was one of it was like a newer neighborhood, so there was constantly houses being built. And there was always stuff where just mountains of dirt. And you're like, okay, we're going to have a big fight on the top of this hill. And you're going to hit me with this sword and I'm going to roll down this hill or, you know, always doing stuff like that and um, jumping off stuff. And yeah, we did a bunch of dumb things. You look back, you're like, how am I not dead? Yeah. Did, you, did dead? you do any like epic jumps with your BMX or anything? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, we did one where like it was snowing and we would like put up this big pile of snow and you would just jump off this little thing into the snow. And it was, you know, it's the cardboard boxes before the cardboard boxes. Oh so, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, yeah. That I, bike went, that bike went through so much trauma. I, I remember specifically doing one uh, cardboard brick. I, I mean, we had, we were setting up some pretty cool jumps, but I didn't, I didn't like have an official, I, I had a huffy, so, uh, I had, I got some air on this one jump and I was looking great until the front wheel hit first and it bent the rim of the wheel. And I had to go home and explain what we were doing, uh, and have my dad fix that wheel. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you when I think back to what we were doing, you know, probably from like 10 to 14, probably eight, eight to 14 and all the crap that we staged and tried to emulate you go to the film yeah especially all the ninja films i'm i'm surprised i'm not dead from yeah scaling the miscellaneous and, nut trauma and stuff that you got oh, too it's yeah. just like yeah <laughs> yeah well we're talking tonight about 2007's hot rod uh you start with the numbers and we usually discuss how this thing performed at the box office and talk about the critics so, Brad, take us down little memory lane going back to 2007. Obviously, this film's popping up on a show called Not a Bomb. So it bombed when it came out, right? It, it did, yes. Um, released August 3rd, 2007 with a reported budget of $25 million. It is, its box office uh, total was $14.3 million. Ooh. That comes the way of 13.9 domestic and 415K internationally. Um, Ouch. Yeah, losing losing quite a bit of money on that um, opening weekend. Uh, it grosses five point three million dollars, um, and that is good enough for ninth place. Ninth was place. Released. I did you see this in the theater when it came out? I did. I did. I saw a lot of these movies when we talk about them in the theater. Two thousand seven. Uh, let's see. I should have graduated college that year, but I didn't. I went for another year. Um, and so here I was just going to the movies all summer long. Oh. Um, yeah, I didn't see this thing until uh, HD DVD. I think when I got my ooh. HD DVD player, this was one of the first ones I bought because I hadn't seen it. So Yeah, yeah. so films that beat out Hot Rod in the theater. We have The Bourne Ultimatum, The Simpsons Movie, Underdog, I Pronounce You, Chuck and Larry. Ugh. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, 
Hairspray, No Reservations, Transformers. So again, this is the tail end of the summer blockbuster uh, season. August uh, tends to be kind of the leftovers. August isn't usually huge because you're not, you know, you don't get multiple get some weeks late in the bloomers every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll, there'll be a there'll be a, an exception every now and then, mm-hmm. but um, not all the time, especially not here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and not only did it bomb at the box office, but it also uh, bombed critically. Uh, critics have this thing currently at a 39% with the audience at 64%. I will say I read Roger Ebert's review. He gave this a three out of four stars. He really it liked was, this film. I read that. He liked it a lot. Yes, too. he yeah. liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah. So give it up because <laughs> Roger – Sometimes his uh, taste in in comedies is uh, way off. It's subjective. Um, uh, th- th- oh yes, yeah. and, that, and I think that's one of the things you gotta say about this uh, comedy is very subjective. I think is comedy the most subjective thing there is. I mean, making people laugh is difficult as it is, and let alone what makes you laugh isn't going to make me laugh, and what makes you laugh isn't going to make me laugh. It's it differs a lot. It uh, to um, me, there's I, I so think much it's, kind of humor too, right? Yeah, it's comedy and horror. I feel are the two hardest genres to do, simply because what you know what is funny is different across the board, but also what scares you is different across the board too. I mean, you put a clown in a film, I'm done. I'm hiding under the sheet. So, <laughs> yeah, you put a clown. I'm I'm okay. Yeah. Um, films released August of 2007. Are you ready for this, Troy? Uh oh. Okay. Uh, we have Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, wow. Okay. We, we have Balls of Fury. Mm. Now, I did see that one in the theater, and I love that movie. Okay. Yep. So far, I'm two for two on films I saw in the theater. Yep, saw Halloween uh, 2. Yeah. High School Musical 2, did not see that one. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I think I took my daughter to that. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, the Invasion. Uh, is that um, the Nicole Kidman? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, right. Daniel Craig film. Yeah. Uh, one of the best documentaries I have ever seen in my entire life came out this month. I did not see it in the theater, but I saw it when it was released on home video. The King of Kong. Yes. One of the best. I, that the is best. a top five documentary. Um, oh, shoot. One of the biggest comedies of all time comes out in August of 2007. Super bad. Yeah. Uh, one of the worst comedies of all time, and I don't even know if I'd call this a movie. Uwe Ball's Postal comes out uh, in August of 2007. Troy, do you have your drink ready? Yes, my coffee. I do. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Rush Hour Three comes out in August of 2007. Yes, excellent film. Excellent yes. film. Yes. Um, and we already said Born Ultimatum, and those are about uh, about it with the films that came along out alongside. Hot Rod in 2007, August of 2007. So do you think it was at a disadvantage? When I look at that list, uh, and it's it's kind of funny that Superbad comes out that month, and it's a runaway hit, right? Mm-hmm. So it, oh, yes. yep. it's an R-rated comedy, really pushes a lot of buttons. This one's PG-13. It's an entirely different universe than Superbad. Do you think one of the reasons why this didn't play well theatrically is it just wasn't, um, I guess, hitting the pulse of what everybody was into at that time period. 
Yeah, this was that shift where everything was going to rated our comedies. Um, you know, a few years after this, we get Hangover, and it really goes into it. Forty uh, Year Old Virgin, all those kind of Judd Apatow films really push comedy to the R ratings. Um, I mean, we've had already already comedies before that, but this is where we were getting them all the time. And super, uh, not super bad. Um, Hot Rod is different. It's not that kind of comedy. Um, it's a little bit more absurdist comedy and, um, yeah, it just doesn't seem to fit kind of that shifting, uh, ideal of what, um, a comedy is at this time. Yeah. I'll be honest with you looking at 2007 and when this comes out, especially against the list that you just talked about, it makes total sense why this just did not find an audience on its initial release because I think people's taste in this sort of slapstick broad comedy, it, it moved on. It, it wanted something way more mature. And yes, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the details when we share kind of thoughts on the film. But one thing I've kind of noticed already, which is the two films that we've watched so far, um, and the other two that we're going to review this month, which is Popstar and McGruber, I think following the same thing. Lonely Island, is, I, I don't want to call it an acquired taste. But I think you have to pay attention, at least in the two films that we've seen so far, which is Briggsby Bear and Hot Rod. They are very surface level. They've got, you know, Hot Rod specifically has some very physical broad comedy. But I think you got to pay closer attention to these uh, and especially, you know, pay attention to what's going on from a story. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to do that, I don't think you would enjoy this thing. Yeah, you're like... (laughs) What's going on with their families? <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. All right. Well, yeah. that's uh, that's pretty interesting. I mean, it again, there you go. There's the smoking gun. Super bad pretty much killed Hot Rod with the candlestick yeah. in the library. You know? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the people who made the film. We'll start with those behind the camera. So we said this was a true Lonely Island film because one of the Lonely Island guys, Akiva Schaefer, directed this. Now, he started with shorts in 2001. I think the first one that showed up on his list was a short called Cablamo. He did uh, the music videos for Lonely Island, directed those. He worked in SNL from 2005 to 2011. He's also worked on TV shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which also is an Andy Samberg. Um, he's in that comedy. I think I've seen one episode of that show, and it was pretty funny. It's, it's one that I've always wanted to go back and kind of try out. Yeah, um, I know when it got canceled, our buddy Charlie was big into pushing to bring it back because um, he loved that show. And he's always saying how good it is. So at some point in time, maybe when it's over, I'll go back and, and watch it. Okay. Is it over now? I thought I thought it just had its final season or something. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Akiva's directed three films. Hot Rod was his first one in 2007. He did The Watch in 2012. And uh, he actually directed next week's movie. We're going to talk about pop star, never stop, never stopping. He did that one in 2016. Uh, The screenplay or the writer, Pam Brady. Now Pam's been on the show before. Do you remember what film Uh, we've talked about her? I'm just going to get, is it Hannibal two? Hannibal or Hamlet 2? Yeah, it was That was a good Hamlet guess. Two? Yeah, okay. absolutely. She wrote the screenplay for Hamlet 2. I was just trying Hamlet to think two. of kind of abs- absurdist kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes total sense. Uh, if you if you think about Hamlet 2 and think about this one, you can definitely tell it kind of has that same style. She worked on the South Park TV series, actually wrote the screenplay for the South Park film, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. 
as well as Team America World Police. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. I totally forgot we talked about her when we talked about Hamlet 2, which is a fantastic, funny film. So go check that one out. The only other person I kind of want to point out behind the scenes, because I think you you can't talk about Hot Rod unless you're talking about stunts. And the stunt oh, okay. coordinator. I thought for, you were going to talk about Lauren Michaels. <laughs> oh, no, Lauren. Well, we'll talk about Lauren Michaels here in a minute. But uh, the stunt okay. coordinator is Nick Powell. He's worked on a ton of different stuff, not just, you know, typical action films. He did Cinderella Man in 2005, Nacho Libre in 2006, which. I like Nacho Libre. I, I do, too. I Quite really like. Did that one bomb? We'll have to research it. I think it. so. Yeah, I we, think so. we might have to bring that one out. He did uh, War in 2007 with Jet Li and Jason Statham. I don't know if you've ever seen Ooh, that film. I, yes, I like that movie quite a bit. Yeah, and uh, Chris Evans uh, filmed Push, I think, in 2009. Yeah, so, we're going to use the force but not call it the force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nick's, Nick's been around. He's done a ton of film and TV. But what I like about this type of filmography is, you know, he's the boxing coordinator in Cinderella Man. He's done comedies, obviously, the one we're talking about today, you know, today and um, Nacho Libra, but you know, he's worked with, with Jason Statham and Jet Li. So pretty, pretty talent, uh, pretty talented hey, he's got guy. Some chops. Yeah. So let's talk in front of the camera. What, what are you, what are your views on Andy Samberg? I mean, th- this is, this is really his movie. He's the star of it. Um, and he plays Rod Kimball. The, the thing I always forget about Andy, he's an actor, writer, producer, music artist, and director. I mean, this guy's done it all. Are you, are you a big Andy Samberg fan? I am. I like him most of the time. Um, he was in that Adam Sandler movie. Um, that's my boy, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, I think that's one of the only ones I films. I don't like him in. I really think he's a, a funny guy. Um, and he's obviously immensely talented cause he does so much stuff. Um, but no, I, I, I like him a lot. Um, and you could definitely see why he would be in a film. Like that's my boy because I think Sandler had a big influence on him growing up. Uh, you can tell it, you know, obviously the music and the the acting and all that. So um, yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. I like him. I'm always surprised when he shows up. A, a great example is a film called "I Love You, Man" from 2009, mm. with um, where he yeah. plays was it Paul Rudd's brother or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he just has a real supporting role and he's really good in it. What surprises me, though, is how many movies he's been in that I think are terrible. So like, that's my boy. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. he's when he's good, he's really good. But I am surprised on how many different things he chooses to be in. But he's he does voice work, too. I mean, he was in Hotel Transylvania, which was a big hit. But again, that's an actually he was in one of my favorite films of 2020, that Palm Springs film. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen that one yet. The Hulu film. Um, It's really good. I like it quite a bit. So if you have. You know, if you're into Andy Sandberg, I would I would check that one out. I do. I I am surprised at how many things I haven't like watched that he's been a part of. But I got to tell you that Brooklyn Nine Nine, I I think that's the next thing I'm going to go check out of him because the one episode I think I watched on an airplane, I I did laugh quite a bit, and I've always had it on the to do list to go check that out, but. We'll talk about um, Denise or Denise played by Isla Fisher, right? So I think she came on the scene a couple of years before Hot Rod with 2005's Wedding Crashers. She had been acting before then. Yep. She was a stage five clinger. Yep. 
So uh, this same year that Hot Rod came out, she did another film, which I absolutely love with Joseph Gordon-Levitt called The Lookout. Have you checked that one out? Oh, yes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. She's really good in that. But, you know, she's another super talented actress. I think she can do it all. Because if you look at her filmography um, between stuff like The Lookout, Nocturnal Animals, tag keeping up the joneses obviously wedding crashers i mean she's she's a pretty versatile actress i'm i'm always a fan when i see her in the credits did you see beach bump the beach bum uh-uh, haven't seen that yet she's in that she's in that too so okay yeah check out the beach Bum. do you did you like spring breakers it was weird i, I mean i okay. liked it I, I i don't know i i that's still a film after i watched it i'm like i don't know if i liked it i appreciate it i can see i appreciated yep. it I think I have the same opinion as you, but I, there's something about uh, Harmy Corinne that, that just like, I want to see what he does. And yeah. So, I, I never yeah. know where, what he, he has a unique vision. I'll, I'll give mm-hmm. him that, but I can't necessarily yep. sit here and tell you if he's a good director or if he's just, I don't know. He's an oddity in my opinion. <laughs> Harmony Karim will probably be on this podcast I'm more than sh- once. Yes. And I can tell you that whole episode is going to be like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I like this. I don't know. I, I can't tell you if it's a bomb or not. That, that'll be yeah. my take on it. It'll depend on what mood I'm in that day. Uh, Ian McShane is Frank Powell, the stepfather. Uh, I, Ian McShane, I think most people know him now as Winston from the John Wick film series. He's also. Oh, yes. Yep. yep. He was in the Deadwood TV series, which again, I hear a lot of good things about. I need to watch. Of he course, also in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more importantly, he was in 2008's uh, Kung Fu Panda with Jackie Chan as Tai Lung. And I totally forgot. I mean, he's Ian McShane pops up in tons of stuff. He, he plays a really good bad guy. Like one of the things of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, I think that that movie's kind of a hot mess, but him as Blackbeard, he's, he's always good. I'm always a big Ian McShane fan. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Jorma Tacone. Did I say that right? Tacone. Yeah. Okay. As Kevin Powell. So this is another member of Lonely Island. So he plays Kevin Powell, which would be, uh, Andy Sandberg's, uh, Rod Kimball's brother, little step-brother. brother, stepbrother. Step-brother? Yeah, yeah. Stepbrother. I, I, you look at his filmography, I totally, this surprised me. The, the only thing I wrote down was, did you, do you remember the short Kung Fury in 2015, about six years ago? Yes. He yep. was Adolf I, Hitler. I actually liked that quite a bit. Yeah, he was Hitler. Yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about that. So, uh, Bill Hader. I believe he is one of the reasons why for about six months, my son was telling me that everything was awesome because of the damn Lego movie. They yeah. Wrote yeah. Yep. That's him. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's talk Bill Hader. I, here's one. I don't want to spend a lot of time on because I, I really love Bill Hader and he's in the it film series. Obviously he's been on Saturday night live. I think he's, he's one of the funniest things to come out of there, but I feel like we'll pick a film where we can do some Bill Hader deep dive because that guy is one of the funniest things out there right now, in my opinion. And and Barry is one of the best shows on TV. Yeah, he is super, super talented. We also get Danny McBride um, as Rico. And I don't know about you. Anytime anybody tells me Danny McBride, I, I automatically go back to 2006's The Foot Fist Way. You've seen that, right? Uh-huh. Yes, I remember getting that uh, with the Netflix in the mail 
and watching it immediately and being like, this is great. This is really dark. I love it. Um, it kind of falls into that realm of like observe and report um, with Seth Rogen, um, where it's just dark comedy, yeah. but it's good. Um, Fistful Away is really good. It, it is. Dark comedy is a great description for it. It's not for everybody. You have to have that kind of twisted sense of humor. But um, it, it's one that might show up on the show because I, I think there's there's a lot in that film. I'd like to revisit that because yeah. it's, what was that, like 2006 or something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's older. You uh, know what we will not revisit is what? Your Highness because that movie sucks ass. <laughs> so, yeah, he's done Pineapple Express, Your Highness, TV shows like Eastbound and Down. Right now he's, um, what, writing and producing. So he did uh, Halloween in 2018 and Halloween Kills in 2021. So he's... He's a horror. And I think he's on board for Halloween Ends, so he is a part of that trilogy. There you go. I would really like he's him. He's also a part of the – he was in uh, The Mitchells versus The Machines, which you still need to see. That okay. movie is amazing. All right. Well, I would like him to stop doing horror films. Is that a request? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. He yeah. popped up in Alien Covenant, and I was surprised with that and, and liked him in Alien Covenant. I did like him in that. I just I'm I can't I can't say that I'm a total fan of what he's doing right now with the Halloween stuff. But hey, everybody assures me when the third one comes out, it's all going to make sense, and I'm going to be a fan of this new trilogy. We'll see. Have you watched any of his stuff on HBO? Uh huh. Like Vice Principals. No, Danny McBride is one of those guys where I, I love the Foot Fist way. I like Pineapple Express. I I, I like Danny McBride in doses. I can't necessarily say he's one of those comedians that I am seeking out because there's just he wears, some, on, he wears on you a little bit. He does wear on me. There's something about him that at some point he just goes into annoying territory for me. He's loud. He's yeah. loud. And that, that sometimes that gets to be too much. Yeah. Asshole. Get you get that asshole comedy or that asshole character and he's really good at it. But when that's all it is, I get, I get tired of that real quick. So uh, a couple other names we want to talk about. Sissy Spacek shows up as Marie Powell, so Rod's mother. Five Oscar nominations and one Oscar win for Best Actress in Coal Miner's Daughter. Um, I, she's one of the best, man. I, I mean, I think most people know her from Carrie in 76, but if you go back and look mm -hmm. at her resume, the dramas and everything she worked on are fantastic. And I don't have you ever seen Coal Miner's Daughter? I have not, actually. For you know the musical biopic, that is one of the best ones out there with uh, her and Tommy Lee Jones. It's from 1980. I, I really would encourage you to visit that like sooner than later. It's so good. It's really okay. good. And she deserved uh, that win for, okay. for that picture. Okay, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, I just got done. I don't know why. Um, we brought it up in this podcast a little while ago, but I watched. I rewatched JFK mm -hmm. over the weekend. Yeah. She's in that. Yep. Um, so it was kind of weird going from like an Oliver Stone movie from what, 91-ish? Right. And then going to Hot Rod 26 years later. And you're like, oh, still, here's Sissy Spacek again. Well, one of the so. best things about Sis, uh, Sissy Spacek in this film is she just delivers everything as, you know, a very dramatic character. There, nothing from her is coming out as comedic. She is she is taking a, a dramatic sissy spacek approach to this role. And I think she's one of the highlights to it. She's not in the film a whole lot, but when she's there, 
she's not participating in some of the absurdist comedy. She's there as the, the straight woman, right? For, mm-hmm. for everybody to kind of play off against her. And she does it so well in here. So um, I, I honestly think she, and maybe this is just her, she's going for another Oscar in Hot Rod for Best Supporting <laughs> Actress. But uh, the last person, Will Arnett, is Jonathan. Your son would know him as Bruce Wayne or Batman in the Lego movies, right? Or uh, we might know him as God Bluth in the Arrested Development TV series. Yep. Yep. Uh, boy, he can play an asshole really well. Yeah, he's slimy. I, I He's got that slimy character down big time. But I think he's one of the, you know, outside of Michael Keaton, he's probably one of the best Bruce Waynes. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, that Lego Batman movie's pretty fantastic because of Pretty him. fantastic, yes. No, as someone who's seen it no less than 97 times, I can tell you it's pretty good. Yeah, you've probably got it memorized at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were talking a little bit about this before the show. Like when you go back and and read about the production of this film, it, it was interesting where this came from or how it even got created. But Hot Rod was written by Pam Brady and uh, it was designed as a project for Will Ferrell during his tenure at Saturday Night Live. But the project never, you know, commenced and it never got made. And the script sort of remained in limbo at Paramount Pictures for about seven years. In the meantime, Lonely Island comes on board to Saturday Night Live in 2005. And by the end of 2005, they're a huge hit, right? So YouTube is playing all their videos and and everybody loves them. The sketch, uh, SNL Digital Short, received just millions of online views. Making Lazy the, Sunday, I think, is the Lazy Sunday, one. yep. Uh, making like Lonely Island just big stars. Lorne Michaels, the producer for Saturday Night Live, recognizes it and goes to Paramount and says, hey, remember that script that we were going to do for um, Will Ferrell? Let's give it to these guys and have them, you know, rework it a little bit. And and that'll be their picture because Lorne Michaels, anytime he, he has that breakout hit on the show, we're going to turn it into a movie, right? And what's interesting is at this point, 2007, None of the Lonely Island guys, the the trio, had any prior experience with feature-length films, and it really took Lauren Michaels to convince those three that they could do it and um, take this comedy that was written for Will Ferrell and kind of rewrite it, but uh, keep it close to a PG-13 audience because they were they were going for um, you know teenage mentality, I think. Um, but yeah, that. I guess that's all the behind the scenes stuff in the production and development. We got anything else before we get into our thoughts on this one? Um, no, no, that was all I had notes wise. <clears throat> yeah. I, I really <laughs> want to talk. Yeah. Cause there's really not a whole lot. I mean, they had 25, I, I was shocked when I saw $25 million to be honest with you, but I, I know they did a lot of stunts and stuff like that. And, and that stuff costs money, but 25 is a lot, a lot. 25 million to, I don't know, three guys who are making music videos for Saturday Night Live seems like a risky proposition. Now, yeah. I'm sure Lorne Michaels is looking at this. Uh, and, and if you look at all those Saturday Night Live films that come out, uh, most of them do, I think, pretty good. But, you know, it's probably 50-50. I mean, if we were to actually take a calculator to it, 50 of them do good. The other 50 bomb. Bomb, and, yeah. and then of the 50 that do good, you always have like two or three, maybe even more than that, that just end up 
being a sensation like Wayne's World Wayne's or something Worlds, of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Blues I, Brothers. I will say, I mean, yeah, Blues Brothers is another. I will, I will say we talk about this as being a a box office bomb. Um, when this thing was released on DVD and HD yes, yes, and Troy's HD DVD, it made twenty four million dollars off the sale of DVD alone. Yeah, um, and this was in that time period where DVDs just sold like crazy. You know, they were. At Best Buy, people would just go in and just buy everything. And people had hundreds and hundreds of DVDs. Um, so this thing made uh, 24. And then they had to do another pressing for the Blu-ray. So they pressed the Blu-ray once. And HDVD. And each, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. They sold four of those. <laughs> Troy was one of them. Um, you know, sold through all their copies of the Blu-ray, repressed it again. Um, so this thing is... On the tail, which you know you're you're investing money, you want to get as much money up front. But if you can make up for it in sales of Blu-ray and DVD and HD DVD, um, you're fine with that too because it's still money. But uh, you know it's just a little longer tail. But it's interesting to see that uh, this was a box office bomb, but um, at home media it made a lot of money for for the studio. So yeah. I would think at the in the end, this is probably a success. I think so financially. I, I think they're doing okay, right? Uh, because when you look at the long haul or the marathon portion of it, you're absolutely right. When this initially came out on home video. Plus the bump of this podcast is going to give it. I mean, geez. Absolutely. Crazy. Amazon's probably going to sell out of it. Uh, and, you know, good news, folks. Everyone if, in Honduras is going to like just eat this up. <laughs> well, Sweden too. Yeah, yeah. We're coming on strong there. But uh, yeah, listen, and, and folks, if you have not watched this film before and you have an Amazon prime membership in the U S uh, it's on there for free. So, uh, but we'll, we'll let, let's get into it. Um, okay. I think it's interesting. And I, I wanted to ask you a question before we kind of talk specifically about hot rod. You've already kind of touched it a little bit about comedy. It's very subjective, but I find it interesting that tons of comedies that come out in a particular year, and they're huge box office successes. And I don't know how you feel about this. When I go back and revisit those things like five, 10 years later, I I don't know if they're as funny or as good as that initial pass. Now, conversely, the stuff that maybe came out in a particular year and I maybe thought it was okay or um, I thought it was funny at the time, but it was a box office bomb, when I revisit that thing, I tend to have a little bit more appreciation and I'm laughing a little bit harder in those films on like the second or third view versus the box office hits. Do you, do you find that to be the same for you? I do. I, I do. I, I was trying to articulate a way to express that as well. And I don't know if it's the comedy was before like ahead of its time. And like now that we're into that, it makes more sense to watch it now and it grows it ages better than it did because it was maybe a little bit before it's time um i just was been watching that uh beatles documentary uh get back on uh yeah. disney plus and of course it's like eight hours so it's gonna take me a while but you know i was thinking about sergeant peppers and just how like ahead of its time that was and how some people just weren't ready for that and they weren't ready for the beatles to change and I was putting that in the context of comedy. It's like, we know comedy is this. And when you change that and do something different, 
we don't like it. Like it's just we it feels too weird. And then we catch up to it and we're like, oh man, this was ahead of its time. Um uh, in two weeks we're gonna talk about McGruber. Same thing. Like it and even next week, like just this weird thing where comedy's at this point and people are like, no, this is funny. Right now, this is funny. And you do something different and people just cannot accept it. And then because it's I don't know, progressive or whatever it is, it ages way better. And you're like, oh, no, this was actually way better than anything that's, uh, you know, whatever. No, I, I think like I like Superbad and I think Superbad still is pretty amazing film. Um, but that's like a once in a lifetime kind of comedy to me. Um, I, I think it's good. I, I just wonder if it's one of those where, you know, Superbad's a great example where, this comes out the same year as Superbad, and you look at the comedies that start coming out after Superbad, and they're trying to replicate yeah, maybe they're, Lightning they're, in a Bottle, they're raunchy, right? They're yeah, raunchy R-rated, R-rated comedies, comedies. Yeah. With, with students and et cetera. And I'm wondering if it's that, okay, for like the last decade, that's what you're exposed to because Hollywood goes, wait a minute, this made a lot of money. Let's go make more mm-hmm. of those. Yep. Whereas this one didn't make any film. I, I wonder if it's because... Hot Rod in and of itself isn't progressive or it's before it's time. It just stands out because it's not like all the other comedies that mm-hmm. Hollywood's putting out. Well, yeah, yeah. Or, or it, or it's completely different than the status quo. Yeah. It, like, like this one just stands out so much. Um, yeah, you're right. Like we would eventually after 2007 move to almost strictly like rated our comedies. Like if it, if it wasn't a rated R comedy, people weren't going. Right. Um, and when you go back and you're looking at this, you're like, Oh, okay. I, I can't see a film like hot rod in a theater. So that, that helps too. Cause mm-hmm. again, it stands out as something different. You're seeing the same thing over and over. It's like multiplicity. Like at some point it's on that copy of a copy. It's just not good anymore but I've got this thing over here. That's completely different. Um, sure. I'll, I'll give it a, another chance. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly what it comes down to. Uh, and, and I think this is probably for people like you and I, uh, and, and even the people listening to this podcast, you're always excited about the stuff that's maybe fresh and offbeat that isn't fitting the status quo of what the, you know Hollywood is putting out there, and so that's where the draw or attraction is. I think sometimes you know we misinterpret, oh, this comedy is ahead of its time. And it's like, no, nah, I don't, I don't know if it's ahead of its time. I think it actually is just something that's different than what the major studios are pointing out. It's not doing anything new. It just feels refreshing because you're not being bombasted by the R-rated stuff. Well, yeah, and also like with the R-rated stuff, like Hollywood at some point in those time was like, no, we're telling you this movie is funny. Yeah. It's the funniest movie you're ever going to see. And you're like, no, no, it's not like, it's, it's not that funny. And like, I was tired of that stuff. Definitely in the aughts and stuff like that, where they were like, no, trust me, this is going to be the funniest movie you've ever seen. Um, they marketed hot rod <laughs> as a guy who was like, trying to raise money as a pedophile. Did you see yeah. those articles where they were actually kind of lying to people and telling them the hot rod was about a pedophile stunt man and all this stuff. You're like, 
guys, that might be a really bad idea to market a movie like this because that's not what this movie's about. And I don't know if people are down to like support a pedophile movie. So no, I don't think so. Well, and I think uh, if you look at some of the interviews and stuff um, from Andy in uh, the Lonely Island guys when it was coming out, even Lauren Michaels, I think recognized this was not going to be a hit coming out of the gate, but it would find its audience over time. And they pegged yes, that, yep. yeah, they pegged yep. that perfectly where I think a lot of people, like you said, ran out to buy this thing. And again, it's one of the films that when you talk about comedies or you talk about SNL films, I'm still surprised this doesn't kind of, Hot Rod to me should get a lot more love for people when they talk about SNL comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically out of, I just think I, I though I, I think people think of like Lonely Island, yes, as SNL, but like something a little separate because they were like their thing before SNL. I, I don't know. They, they There's were a little bit of a disconnect, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think because Lauren Michaels, uh, you know, really had a hand in getting this made. Mm. Something like Brigsby Bears is not um, an SNL film. This one, I do feel like it is simply because, you know, it, it's Lauren Michael saying, we're giving you the money. We're giving you the mm-hmm. script. We're going to use. I mean, and I think people forget that. I mean, it, through and through. But I'm curious. So I obviously you have a love for the film. You've watched mm-hmm. it. Uh, second film with your wife. <laughs> we are in 2021 revisiting this thing. So uh, how, how did it hold up for you? Yeah, I was surprised at how much I still enjoy this movie in how it's still one of my favorite comedies. Um, It literally makes me laugh so much Um, pretty much from scene one to the very end. uh, It's just got that comedy that I like uh, that it's weird and offbeat. Uh, There's like, you know, they can tell these guys are fans of like eighties films because all of a sudden it's just like music interlude. And, uh, and, uh, the part, you know, and I was telling my wife last night when we were watching it, I was, when they kind of all come together right before the big sun and they're walking through the streets and the music is building <laughs> up. Like this is honestly, this is one of my favorite scenes in, in film, in film period. And I just, turns I don't into know a what riot. it is. <laughs> yeah. It's just so funny and so stupid, but I, I love every second of it. Um, the, <laughs> Am I? We were we were watching it last night, and there's a part where he's going downhill on a street luge, and you know he's like, "If I'm in trouble, I will yell whiskey." No, and, he's gonna yell you know, whisk, whiskey. whiskey. Yes, and <laughs> and then you start thinking about that. You're like, "How are they gonna help him when he's going downhill?" Like, there was no way that was gonna go well at all. Um, you know, it's like those moments too, where you know I've seen this film, you know probably 20 times. And I'm still like thinking about parts where I'm like, wait, how was that even going to be? How is that going to work out? Um, like the first opening stunt, you're just like, okay, I'm in for something really, really weird. Um, you know, he has these things for like, uh, nature and like spirit animals, things like that. Uh, there's a extended sequence where he falls down a hill and, and I think that's one of the the ones the scenes I want to highlight is like that scene could go on for five seconds and it would be funny, but the fact that they kind of let it go and go, and it's go like a go, minute, a minute and a half. Yeah, it, yeah. It, like he's falling down a hill for a minute, and like I like that part where like not only do they do it, but then they just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. <laughs> and keep doing it. Um, yeah, so 
the way that humor is, it's just subjective, but I laugh at this thing so much and it brings me so much joy, but it also like is a really good story too. Like there is a, uh, uh, themes about being yourself and like, you know, wanting to stay true and then earning respect, uh, you know, from your parents and just all this stuff. And, And then I was going back to last week about Brigsby bear. And I'm like, man, what is it about these guys and father figures and all this stuff? Like it is, there's something going on because it's uh, prevalent. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, let, let's talk about the the, the story premise because I, <laughs> I think it's really unique. It's the central premise of the film is Rod is trying to do stunts to raise $50,000 for his stepfather's heart transplant. And the reason why he wants to save his stepfather is because he wants to beat him in like these sparring sessions and earn his respect. And so the film has this offbeat family dynamic that seems really dysfunctional. I mean, it's basically a a stepfather beating up a stepson (laughs) over and over again, but there's this sweetness to it where it's, it's a mix of dysfunction and sweetness. Right. And it, it lines up just fantastic in terms of the same thing that you see in Brigsby bear, which really shocked me. I agree with you. I mean, I, they're, they're yeah, really yeah. between just these two films. They're they're They create this dynamic between fathers and sons that you just don't expect in, in sort of a slapstick broad comedy. Yeah. And, and I, I will say, as opposed to Brigsby bear, this one like has a cast of people that you recognize, especially now, like yeah. looking back, you're like, wow, they got a lot of these people early. Um, even Isla Fisher, like she hadn't been in very much. And you look at her in this one, you're like, She's awesome. They have Bill Hader. You're like, he's awesome. Danny McBride. You're like all these people and they're so good and so funny. Um, and then of course you got Will Arnett and you're like, God, like all these people just keep coming and coming and coming. And it's so funny. Um, and they do all their parts so well that, you know, the casting in both of these movies completely different, but the end result is still like characters that I, I like and want to hang out with. Um, you know, Rod and those guys are real weird, but like they're still like friends. And you were like, I'd like, I'd hang out with those guys and be stupid and do weird stuff and do stunts and all that stuff. And light up fireworks that I found in a bathroom. Like, sure, let's go. Yeah. I, I got to say between Brigsby bear and this one, probably the MVP in both films is the casting director because mm-hmm. you're, you're dealing with a weird comedic theme. Now, Brigsby Bear is probably a little bit more in the drama than the comedy. This is way more on the comedy. Has a little dramatic elements to it, but even the dramatic elements are are played for laughs. <laughs> but it really comes down to this film would, I think, sink like quickly if one of those folks just didn't gel organically with everybody. I mean, it, it's the it's a. I know Andy. This is his film. But he's not good unless the rest of the ensemble is giving him something good. Oh, agreed. Yes, yes. I mean, that that's usually – comedy is hard to do by yourself in a film, right? Yeah. Like you can't be uh, like the Tasmanian devil. You can't be going through tearing up everything and then everyone else would be like, eh. Like you have to have that chemistry with almost everybody to make it work. Um, that's why like someone like Chris Farley and David Spade – 
those guys together, you know, together are brilliant. You know, look at David Spade by himself. You're like, ah, I don't know if you're fun. You're very funny, but um, you know, I, I think I think that's important with a comedy is to get that chemistry uh, correct. Um, if not, it just seems weird at, at some point in time. You well, know, you, you bring up a good example. I mean, Chris Farley, David Spade, but when they put Chris Farley with what was it, Matthew Perry? Uh, didn't they do? Uh, a movie together, almost heroes or something like that. Uh, yes. Was that what it was? I, I think so. But I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, Chris Farley, David Spade are great, but Chris Farley and Matthew Perry. Yeah. It was almost heroes from 1998. Okay. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know if that movie's that great. And I think it's specifically because those two are not Chris Farley and David Spade. Yeah. Like your beloved rush hour, like Jackie yeah. Chan is a funny guy. Put him with um, uh, what's his name, and then you're even Chris Tucker. funnier. Chris Tucker, sorry, <laughs> okay. it wasn't coming to me, and I was like, I wanted to say the guy from Friday, and I'm like, that still doesn't help. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, Chris Tucker, and it, it's comedy gold. Put Jackie Chan with Owen Wilson, and you're like, ah, eh, maybe not as much. Yeah. Oh wow, I'm with Jackie Chan. Oh wow, yeah, okay. I, I'll, I'll I agree with you. The Shanghai Night, Shanghai Noon are lesser films than the Rush Hour series. Hundred mm. uh, percent. I'm with you. Hundred. I, I agree so much with you in that. I've seen this thing. I don't know how many times. And what's oh, funny? Oh, really? I, I I hadn't. I didn't know if this was your first time. Or I bought this what, thing so. on HD DVD. So come on. I know. Yeah. Okay. Get, sorry. <laughs> I I own an HD DVD copy and I own a Blu-ray copy. And I'm. Did you watch it on HD DVD? Uh, I was going to. I was getting the player out, and then I was looking around. I'm like, man, this is gonna. I have to move some components out of the theater in order to plug oh. this in. So I'm like, now we're, we're, we'll watch the Blu-ray copy. This but, HD DVD, was that not like, did they not have HDMI out on that or was it just, they did it, it but really just, for okay. me, it was just a space issue. Like I'd have to, okay. to gotcha. move an Xbox or something out to, um, yeah, it's just a cabinet thing. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I got a Blu-ray. Not that, not that day. You know, other days I would have, right? So streets of fire have on HD DVD. I, I kind of like that print better than the shout factory one. Wow. You're the one. I'm okay, the job. other one. Yeah. So, uh, no. And, and what's funny, I was going downstairs and of course, Cameron stops me. What are you doing? I'm going to go watch hot rod. He's like, Oh, I just watched that a few weeks ago. I'll watch it with you again. I mean, he watches it probably on a regular rotation, <laughs> <laughs> but what's funny is we sit down and we are just dying laughing for, you know, 80 plus minutes. And we're laughing at the same things. And you're hundred percent right. I, this, it probably my favorite thing about it. And again, that's why I asked the question before what I find refreshing is I don't think we get enough great physical comedy in films. Like I miss that. I, I miss slapstick humor when it's done mm -hmm. right. And I think the stunts in this thing, and we, we talked about her love for like Super Dave Osborne, which I, I think is freaking brilliant. But um, Chris Farley is another one. Like physical comedy was pro he was probably the best at physical comedy. Oh, absolutely. If, if probably he, not anyone better than Chris Farley. Yeah. When he, when he would fall through, you know, a coffee table on the set, he could mm -hmm. make it funny. Right. Mm -hmm. But there is, there's such a creative balance between stunt performers the comedy of the scenario and then dummies. I love when they can incorporate a good dummy into like a slapstick comedy because it's hard to do. Right. But, um, the very first stunt of them trying to jump over a mail carrier truck and he's like, 
hey, did, did you reinforce the ramp? Nope, didn't have time. He's like, okay. So he's taking this little moped and it is a great edit of him crashing into the other end of the ramp. And then for a split second, you see the dummy, you know, it's arms folding and the body doing something where it shouldn't be able to do that. And then the next cut is him on the floor. And it, it is very much a Super Dave Osborne kind of edit. And it I audibly laugh out loud and I'm I keep laughing as they're trying to pick him up and everything. And and that gives you a sense of like, okay, here's here's what we're gonna see, you know, for the for the rest of the eighty film uh, eighty minutes. Yeah. And, and all that stuff ages really well, except for the very last part. I think the him flying through the air at the very end is is the one effect of this movie where I'm like, come on, like that one's really bad. It it is but again, it's a it's a good example of it's bad, you know it's fake, but there's a little bit of a charm to it. I mean, when when he crashes and next thing you know, you see this dummy, and you know how dummy physics work where Oh yeah, you know it's the, a ragdoll sort it's, of deal. Yeah, it's a ragdoll effect, and it's it it is absolutely hilarious. Like if that was a real person in that scenario taking that fall, I don't think it would be as funny as the fact that it's a dummy. However, the I got to I got to be honest with you. I literally couldn't see. I was laughing so hard. The punch dance sequence that he does, <laughs> which is a which is a callback to Footloose, and I, I it for whatever reason it still surprises me. But he's he's doing his punch dancing, and then all of a sudden trips over that log, and you hear a oh shit, and then for the next minute and a half, I think you get probably some of the most impressive stunt work you can see in a film. And it looks like something out of a, a Jackie Chan outtake reel because this guy who's going down the mountain, whoever it is, I have to assume he's dead. And then every once in a while they'll like intersplice something with the dummy and then go back to somebody really taking these hard falls. And there's this one sequence where he is coming and doing like six or seven flips before yeah, where they he lands. do that. They hard the hardest on the hips where they're flipping them. Oh, and yeah. he lands yeah. right on that tree stump. Uh, and that's a real guy. And then it switches to him going down rocks and getting his head <laughs> banked on rock. It is absolutely hysterical. I think it is one of the funniest things ever committed to film. And like you said, the fact that it goes on and on and on <laughs> And I, I wonder if Jackie Chan himself looks at that and goes, yeah, fuck that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that is crazy. Uh, and I think another thing about this movie I kind of noticed last night is your anticipate anticipation for like the next comedy bit. Yeah. Because um, you know what's coming. And I get that little kind of tingle too, like knowing like, oh, the the punch the punch sequence is coming. I'm over. This is where he falls or uh, this is the – uh, whiskey thing, or this is the, you know, whatever scene, the cool beans thing. And we're, you know, getting that sort of like, Oh, I, I can't wait for the next one too. Um, that's always nice in a, in a film where you're just like, just anticipating the next one. You're laughing now, but you know, Oh, in two more minutes, I'm going to be laughing again. Oh, I, I love it. When he hits the camper, he does the one stunt where he oh. basically hits the camper, goes through it. And the owner comes out and Danny the Rico, McBride. The Rico beats, yeah, the, yeah. the Rico uh, thing, yep. There's so so the the physical. I go comedy. to church every goddamn Sunday. <laughs> it's one of the best lines in film history. I'm I promise. trying to exercise these demons. <laughs> yes. Um, well, that that that's a good segue. So uh, 
as much as I think this film really on display some of like the best physical comedy moments you could ever see, Andy Samberg, Bill Hader, Jorma, Danny, we talked about this. I think it's really hard to do the man child thing and get it right and not just look stupid, right? So you've got this man child gang and their chemistry together is so good. And then you add Denise into this and it, it just works, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But one of, and a great example of how the comedic timing is just so pitch perfect is when he's announcing to the gang that Denise is going to join, you know, the crew. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, let's go around oh, the introduction. Yeah. The introduction. And he's like, well, let's go around and say something. And he says, you know, well, I'm, I'm Rod and I like to party. And then they go through this whole thing of, well, I like to party too. No, you don't like to party. <laughs> and, and it goes on again, kind of like that fall for a good minute or something. It reminds me of something right out of an Abbott and Costello routine. I mean, it, it feels like classic comedy with just this. It's a kind play. of like a who's on first sort of deal. It is. And they pull it off so well. And it's so funny. And you get so many moments like that where all of them are having a conversation and interacting and you just can't help. It, it's infectious how how fun it is. Yeah, I, I was wondering, like, do you think a lot of this because I know like with Judd Apatow, a lot of his comedies now are just like just just riff, just do whatever, just like we're, we've got kind of a rough script here, but I want you to improvise a lot. Do you think a lot of this was, did it feel improvisational to you or did you just feel sort of that we're going by the script? Cause it just felt so natural a lot of times um, that I wonder if maybe they got some, some moments of gold, just letting the guys go. Cause all these people are funny people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you put them on camera long enough, I'm sure you're catching something. But I, I to me, like the the party thing, I was like, man, I wonder if they wrote that out because I, I think I they know, did. It just feels I just it just feels so natural in that moment. It's just hard for me to believe that no, we want this in our movie. Um, I don't know. I, I don't I just thought about that. If they did, it's amazing. I I look at that sequence and I look at the safe word whiskey sequence and he starts pronouncing like every W with a like wait and what are you saying? (laughs) And again, it feels like something out of an Abbott and Costello sort of classic comedy. I I think all those are scripted and they practice. uh, But, you know, you've got the Lonely Island guys, so they've obviously been working together for years. And that's where I think the casting director like is is probably the MVP. Adding Hader, adding McBride into this with, you know, really these three guys who've been working together forever. I, I think they found the right chemistry to where they look at the script and everybody makes it sound organic. Now there are some one-off um, scenarios like Danny McBride beating up the guy. That to me probably feels like, oh, we did three or four different takes. He was saying something a little bit different and then they picked that one and that feels a little bit more improvised. But when you got these four or five of them just kind of riffing on something and going back and forth, I, that has to be scripted. And again, it, it just points to how good of a script this thing is. I I really think that Pam Brady, I mean, we saw it in Hamlet too. Hamlet two is very smart and it's a very funny film and you have to pay attention or you're going to miss something. This movie has like the same 
kind of lines to it where if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss something. So like when they're standing next to the pool and I can't remember who says it and somebody goes, you know, pools are really good for holding water. <laughs> you just get these throwaway lines and they're being really serious with, you know, hands on the hip, just looking at it, trying to analyze situation. You get, you get all these little throwaway lines that if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. And it cracks me up all the time. Um, the, the other one, which both Cameron and I had to do a double take and it was like, did, did he say that? And I always forget about this. Rod is describing his dad's death and it's really gruesome, right? Handlebars went through his face and the back of his head. And then he oh, goes, he died instantly. He died. He died instantly the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's some funny writing. Uh, and I, I think Pam gave him a great script. Maybe they improvised a little bit, but it really comes down to picking the right cast, having sort of this organic comedy coming out of this amazing script um, with these practical stunts, and and you've got movie gold. I mean, it's really, really good. No, I, I I agree. I think this thing has a lot of charm, too, and I think that helps the comedy as well. It makes the rewatchability of it so high. Uh, it's just it's charming, too. Like, it, it, it just all works together. Um and the story really helps progress the comedy along the way. And it just all really gels together and works. Like there are comedies that I don't care for the story and it's not as good. Right. But yeah. every, I think every great comedy, even like Wayne's world, it's got a really cool story. Blues brothers, a really cool story. Um, uh, Tommy boy is like, they all have got these, these really, nice organic kind of simple stories but they work and the comedy just works along the way with it and it and it really enhances um kind of the comedic performances because you know you're not doing a whole lot of heavy lifting with the plot but you're letting kind of kind of the uh, comedy do a walking for you but you, you you still need something to help progress that story along and uh like I really like the father stepson sort of re- relationship and what's going on and him working so hard to earn the respect for from his stepfather um and you know like they never really say it but like there's obviously a love there because like he the only thing he wants to do is earn the respect of his stepfather and you know Rod is again like just like um brings me there our main character is like a really good person yeah rod is a good person um he doesn't know crap about it, cars i mean he just bangs a hammer no, on the engine. I know, I know. <laughs> banging engine with the hammer it's great no you're um, right I, I so here's the thing i i know a lot of people like adam sandler comedies obviously because he's yeah, get, billy got a lot madison, of stuff. yeah billy madison happy gilmore and water boy i guess are kind of his and Big Daddy too, but yeah, like his early stuff where he's kind of doing this sort of comedy. Yeah, and I don't, um, I really don't like his film. I like Happy Gilmore, but I'm not a big Billy Madison fan. Don't really care for Waterboy. I, I, I think there's something about this film. Like I would watch Hot Rod ten times over, watching um, Happy Gilmore. In my opinion, yeah. And I know a lot of people love that film. But I think the difference here is you kind of nailed it. Uh, Adam Sandler has this goofiness that goes out into left field. And, you know, some of it works. A lot of it doesn't for me from a subjective point. 
but it just feels cold and heartless. It's it's just gibberish, right? Whereas this comedy, there's well, when your comedy's like oh, be do be do be do, like that yeah, that's that's a that's actually a pretty good Adam Sandler impersonation. Yeah. No, it's but you're right. Yeah. It's just simple man-child gibberish without anything behind it outside of just a, a plot, right? So Adam Sandler films have a plot. This one has a story. And the story is very simple. This is this is very much like, hey, let's go save the rec center or let's put on a show. I mean, that's what it is. And the reason why they're doing it is kind of unique. <laughs> he wants to you know, make sure his stepdad doesn't die so that he can kick his ass. <laughs> Uh, which is, is funny, but there's, there's that heart. There's some, I don't know, genuine feeling behind this. Whereas the Adam Sandler films really feel empty and, you know, stupid comedies are stupid comedies. They can be fun, but I mm. much rather see something like this and, and Hamlet too. Uh, and you know, even South park, I think <laughs> that, that film that they did, which again, Pam Brady wrote that as well. And even team yeah. America, it's team America. Yeah. I was going to say team America. Yeah. Good. They're yeah. really good scripts, really good stories. And the comedy's good. And it, it just doesn't feel empty the way that those Adam Sandler films feel to me. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I think as I get older, those films might not age as well. I still think they're pretty funny, but there are aspects might, to might, of them that are funny. Like there, there yeah. are a couple, there's lines in them that are funny. There's situations but as a film, I'm not laughing constantly in those movies as I am like Hot Rod. Yeah, I think you put it correctly. Like there are lines in that movie that are funny. This is a funny movie. Period. True, true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. There's some comedy. I, does any of the comedy in Hot Rod not work for you? There, there are a couple elements that I kind of go. It. I know what they're going for. It doesn't really get my funny bone. Was there anything? No. No. Um, what one doesn't work for you? Cause I want to, there, there's a few, uh, the spirit animals I think is almost Adam Sandler like, yeah, it's just so dumb. I love it, it. It is, but it does have a payoff when at the end and he's, he's kind of naming all the ones and he throws a house cat in there. That does make me chuckle. So I feel like he's trying to set up this big choke towards the end and yeah. they get me, but that's um, the punchline, Troy, it is how chokes work. I, I, I still, uh, Chris Parnell's rant about AM radio, I think goes on too long. Um, how he's going to take down FM and uh, no, uh, will Arnett trying to get, uh, Denise to stay. So, Oh babe. Yeah. It, it what they're doing is that it, it's kind of like that tumble right down the mountain. It keeps going and going and going. And in some situations like that, that mountain fall is absolutely hilarious. The Will Arnett, um, hey, babe, 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 babe. I mean, okay, it, it's not, stop. <laughs> but in a way, they're kind of belittling that character as he's leaving the movie, which I, I, I like. It is. I'll say this. He's I, I think a babbling key, and he's begging and like, you don't think this alpha type guy is going to do that. And then he becomes that at the end. And it's great. Uh, it's to me, it was, it was okay. What I didn't laugh. Yeah. When, when guys call their girlfriend's little girl, I, that creeps me out more than anything. And yeah. that's how I knew when Will Arnett says saw, little girl. Oh, uh, it's, yeah. I, pedophile. Uh, yeah. just give that guy a white van. No, I, <laughs> Hey, I'll say this. I think Akiva Schaefer knows when to move on and get to the naturally funny stuff. Uh, but there, there are some of these elements, like a couple of those, the cool beans one, I got to say the first time I saw it, I'm like, 
what in the hell is going on? <laughs> and I didn't get it. But this time watching it, I'm, I, I, you said it earlier, like you're waiting for the cool bean scene. And so in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, the cool beans thing's coming up and that goes on for a little too long. But this time I'm watching, I'm like, I'm start chuckling <laughs> and I don't know why, like that, that comedy bit finally wore me down after all these years and, and it got a <laughs> laugh out of me. Did you see where they, they originally had taken that out and um, I believe Sandberg and Jorma edited it back in. And then when they tested it for audiences, that was their favorite scene. So they kept it in. Yeah. So initially what? they took it out and then. Cause it was like, is this too weird? Is this too weird? I don't know. Is it too weird? But I'm glad they kept it. I, I now I am after I don't know my seventh viewing. I think I get it. But after seven viewings, the um, the AM radio rant and the Will Arnett thing, those are about the only two things that don't resonate with me. Where I think it those bits overstay their welcome, mm -hmm. and then the spirit animal ones, I. I <laughs> It finally, like I said, the punchline is worth it when you all of a sudden see the bottlenose <laughs> dolphin and the fox and the eagle and then a house kitten. I'm like, okay, that was. You got me. That works. You got me, movie. No, but I mean, I, I think I think Akiva does a good job of knowing when to stretch the comedy out. I think there are a couple of missteps, but not much. I mean, for for to sit there from a film and go. Hey, there are maybe two sequences I don't find funny, but the rest of it, you know, the other 82 minutes are absolutely hysterical. That's like the inverse of an Adam Sandler film, in my opinion. <laughs> like I'd be talking yeah. about Adam Sandler and going, well, there's these two sequences that I think are really funny. And then the other 80 minutes, I really just. It, you had it, to suffer through. Yeah. yeah it's uh, like walking on Legos. The, the breeziness of how the, the, the way this movie just goes and you're, you're kind of in it. And then the third act of the movie is happening. You're like, wow, this thing goes like yeah. even after seeing it last night, like those first two acts, you're just going, going, going. And then you're like, oh, we're at the jump. Like, wow, we're, we're here. And I think that is like one, another one of those things where this film goes and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like if this was a hour and 45 minutes, it might be like, okay, guys, like, you you need to wrap this up, but it is like right at that sweet spot where, you know, we're in and out and we're funny 98% of the time for some people and we're good to go. It's ninja comedy, man. It's in, it's out, right? Yep. Does its yep. thing out. No, I, I'm with you. The, the other thing I kind of like, I've always appreciated this. So the soundtrack was composed by ex yes guitarist, Trevor Rabin. But what I think is kind of funny is that throughout the entire film, you pretty much get um, Europe's final countdown album in there, <laughs> you know, the Swedish rock group. Yep. And there is something about having like these songs in these key sequences from Europe, which is like this eighties hair metal band, right? Uh, with the training montages, et cetera. It, it just works. Like it adds another layer of charm through the soundtrack that you just weren't expecting. Oh, where, the music, the music is one of the best things in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Hands down. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime you get like Cherokee, Rock the Night, I'm a big Europe fan, so I was excited to hear all that stuff. Because of course you are. Yeah. No. So if you go see Europe in concert, did they play Final Countdown to start the show and then to end it? I don't know. I've never seen them in concert, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would assume that they would. If I remember correctly, that song was basically they had an intro when they came out on stage 
which was the music. And then somebody turned around and added words to it. And then they turned it into a song, but it started out as just intro music for them to kind of come out on stage and ends up probably being their, their biggest hit ever. Yeah. Their only hit ever. Not only it's Cherokee rock the night. They were look, Brad, that album is really good. Okay. It's really good. Okay, dad, let's go. And Trevor, (laughs) Trevor Raven knows it's really good, which is why he put it in this film. Now, uh, I, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I, it's one that I would, I've, I really enjoy recommending to people. Oh, of, of course. And, and I had never previously don't care what Rotten Tomatoes score for a movie is. And when I saw that it was a 39%, I was shocked. Cause you think anything like less than 40% is pretty bad. Um, and then we started talking about like, well, this is like, a different breed of comedy than what was like kind of in vogue at the time. So were critics like not really into that. Um, I'm sure, you know, there's going to be some reappraisal, you know, in 2027 when this is 20 years old and people are like, is hot rod, was it the best comedy of, you know, the early two thousands or whatever? I, I just think that, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see why people, when they see this movie, don't immediately think it's one of the funniest movies they've ever seen. I I think critics are naturally harsh on man child films. Um, and and I, I, I will tell you, I typically am. This is not a genre that I usually dig. Um, but when done well, like, I, yes, you're always wondering like, how old is, rod in this movie like why do they still live at home do they go to school like all this stuff but he never really acts well there are moments that- you you think this movie takes place in like the 70s or 80s but then things come out and date it to 2007 so yeah it, it's taking place in 2007 but the pop culture references and everything that rod's pulling from i mean it makes yeah, sense just, given the storyline yeah i i yes he is a man child and this is a it's an atypical man child film, but like he's not uh, ready to rumble or anything like that. Like it's, it's different and he's tolerable and he's a good character. I think that is like my line in the sand is like, is it a good character? Like would I want to hang out with this guy or not? Cause if I would want to hang out with this guy, I'm not going to give them a hundred minutes of my time. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the delineation for me. Well, I, I mean, would you consider if, if you had to say, okay, what is the pinnacle man child film? What do, what do you like hold all of these type of movies up to? For me, I think it's the jerk with Steve Martin. And I, I, I was going to say Tommy boy, Tommy boy. Yeah. Well, maybe it's because of my age, but I'm, I'm always going to do the jerk with Steve Martin. And I know Andy Samberg others, when they talk about interviews, they mentioned the jerk as a source material mm-hmm. that the jerk, they were trying to get to. But anytime I look at the man child films, it's, it is more of, um, uh, I, I don't know it, it, where, where's the comedy coming from context of the story? Does it feel organic? Does it feel like it's let out of left field and out of left field? Are, is Wayne, fine. are Wayne and Garth, are they man child's children, man children's? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's good. I, it, yeah. that, that's a probably something we should, um, kind of. I don't know, define at some point is like, what are the characteristics of the man child film? Like, do you have to live at home? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah I think that would Wayne have to be does. a requirement. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I think it kind of comes down to that motif that you're not ready to grow up. Like that's, that's the whole premise of the man child film. Um, Step Brothers is a great example yep. of the man child. And, and it's another example of where it's done so well. It's a rated R comedy, but uh, again, those two together on screen are perfect and they just, they nail it. Right. In most, in most of their movies, uh, that Holmes and Watson movie, holy Oh, never, cow. never saw it. Don't, don't want to uh, heard too many bad things. No, to be fair to Wayne, he was gamefully employed. I think that's a big, uh, big defining well, man child. Bill right? Hader's employed in here. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like he has some responsibility, uh, as well. He was counting the money, so he couldn't have been that. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Okay. Yeah. Steve Martin was employed at the gas station when he yeah. thought okay. that the so guy maybe was gainful employment doesn't really matter. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to have to hammer out this list and <laughs> do some homework on it. I don't know. Uh, what else? Anything else you want to kind of comment on? Final I love thoughts? this movie. You love this movie. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, okay then we'll, we'll just get right to the question. We, we just got done talking about uh 2007 hot rod, Brad, your pick for this week is hot rod a bomb. It is not hot rod is, uh, one of the best comedies I think I've ever seen. And that's ever period ever. ever. Wow. Yes. Top 10, top 20, top 20 for sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I agree. I, I, it's not a bomb. I don't know if it's in the top 20. What You know, it's it's a truly funny film, and it has some of the best physical comedy moments you're going to see in film, which I miss big time. And when it's done right, a, a great example, and I'm not comparing Hot Rod to this film. I, I think this other film is, is in the pantheon, but uh, the Philadelphia story, right? So um, it it's... It's a great film, but it has these little slapstick moments where, uh, goodness, was it Cary Grant just pushes her to the floor, just like slams her down and it kind of comes out of nowhere and it's really funny, but it's done so well in the context of the story that you understand where it came from and the whole, uh, it, that that's a great example of a great film, very funny. And when they add the physical comedy into it, it just works. And I think this is a great example of a film that can do that and still be smart. I really like the reverence that this movie has for some of the pop culture moments like evil Knievel, uh, the Burt Reynolds mustache, which I totally understand why you would wear a fake mustache. If you made you look like Burt Reynolds, I get it. The uh, super Dave Osborne, the, the footloose reference with the punch dancing, which is to me the highlight of the film. And uh, it, it points out how silly some of these things are, but also taps into elements of what made him fun. I think, and we kind of talked about this, the the Brigsby Bear and Hot Rod have a lot of things in common. Um, the movies have this unexpected heart to them and are a lot smarter than you expect them to be. I mean, you, you look at the cover of Hot Rod and you go, wow, I, I think this is going to be another kind of dumb Adam Sandler-like man-child film. But when you know the dust settles, you go, wow, that, that was kind of a sweet little film that had some very, very funny moments to it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad this didn't, this wasn't what it originally was set out to be as a Will Ferrell vehicle, because I think a lot of that stuff would have been lost and it might've been more focused on centrally on Rod, which would have been a mistake. I think Rod being the, the main character is, is obviously important, but the, the story isn't just about him. Um, I think if it's Will Ferrell in that situation, it's like a Ricky Bobby sort of deal and, in, in 
I don't know. We had those movies. This is different. And I, and I like that. So yeah, I, I do too. So next week is my pick, right? It so is your pick, sir. My pick. So next week we're, we're keeping up with the, the lonely Island. We are going to do uh, a film that I think both you and I have seen. Um, have you seen once or twice or did you see it in the theater? Oh gosh. I saw it quite a bit. Um, HBO had it on for a long time. So I was watching it a lot. I, a lot, a lot. Yeah, I've seen it once. I saw it on, oh, wow, on Blu-ray. Okay. Yeah. So this will be my second viewing, but I'm, I'm really interested to go back and watch this because, uh, not only do I remember this being super funny, but it kind of brings us into a subgenre of the mockumentary and, uh, the music mockumentary. So I'm sure we're going to be talking about, you know, spinal tap, spinal and tap. some of those other things, <laughs> yes. right? Yep. Uh, but next week we're going to talk about pop star, never stop, never stopping. So, and, and again, it's another lonely Island where they're directing, they're writing, they're starring in producing. So, uh, the question will be, is it as funny or even more funny than hot rod? So I can't, I can't wait to find out. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm excited. Um, it, I'm just kind of shocked by how much heart these films have that, you know, Me too. These, I, I remember yeah, the funny moments, funny. but since we're, maybe it's because we started with Brigsby bear and that thing had so much heart. And now you're kind of picking up on it thematically as we go. I'll be, I'll be really curious. Like the thing I'm most excited about revisiting with pop star, is it going to continue this underlining um, kind of sweetness to it? Cause I, I don't remember that aspect to it. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I've only seen it once, but I, okay. I remember the funny elements. I just don't remember, you know, that, that smartness that seems to be in, in hot rod, which I kind of always knew was there and really appreciated it. But speaking of Brigsby Bear, uh, we had, I'm so excited about this. So many people had kind of reached out and said, uh, hey, took your advice and watch that film. And holy cow, was it good? Our, yep. good, our good friend uh, Alex over at Friends with Cinefits had texted me and said, you guys weren't kidding. That movie was amazing. And he he actually went out and bought a copy so he could give it to his sister to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for six ninety nine, yeah, no kidding. But uh, we had some feedback on it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read something real quick, and it's from uh, a listener, Kevin, our good friend Kevin. He uh, he put in the email, "You're killing me, Smalls." Hello, Brad and Troy. I recently started listening to your episode on Brigsby Bear and had to stop because of your warning to stop listening until the listener had seen the movie. This is the second movie. The other being, "Why don't you just die?" Most of the time, if there is a movie I hadn't seen or don't intend to, I'll keep listening. And when I get around to watching the movie, your insight has helped me to get more out of a movie. And he lists New Mutants, Showgirls, and Heaven's Gate as an example. I guess I'll have to get off my butt and get these movies because I can feel the pent-up excitement in your voices and want to see for myself. Kevin, love the show. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, yeah that was our... I, you know, we can't take credit for it. Randy was the one that was basically shoving that movie down our throats and we put it off for over a, a yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, That's about right. And I'm, I'm still kind of mad at myself for doing that because I could have experienced Brigsby Bear um, earlier in life, but that's okay. Um, Did you pick up yeah, the other I'm, one he talked about? The apocalypse, the Australian apocalypse film? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. I bought that I mean, too. It's <laughs> like, kind of have to now so oh yeah if randy you know, recommends it up. after brigsby bear he's yeah. got he's got full-on street cred now yep yep he's like a director that makes one of your favorite movies like i don't care what you put out next i'm gonna watch it exactly and, you know. uh we also got something else i wanted to share and it's from arnie 
And he says, if they are not on your list already, Spartan 2004, directed by David Mamet. This film blew me away when I rented it on DVD when it was released. I was expecting direct-to-TV trash and basically got Jack Bauer 24 in the tone of Michael Mann. Still holds up. And the other one he recommends is Idiocracy from 2006, a total box office bomb that supposedly got buried by the studio and corporate interest for obvious reasons, now considered by many a documentary, LOL. And I I would agree with that. (laughs) More pertinent now than anything. Actually, I think, you know... Idiocracy might uh, might be like watching Contagion right now. It's like, man, it's it's still we're still in it. Like, yeah, we're I think in so, it, man. Yeah, and Arnie says love the podcast as well. Um, and he left us a, a really good review on iTunes as well. So much appreciated for that. But uh, yeah, Idiocracy is on the list. I think we're probably going to tackle this one next year. Spartan wasn't. I totally forgot about this film. I love Spartan, so it's going on the list, and we need to find a space for this one. Okay. Uh, yeah. Next year. Um, Val Kilmer's in that, right? Yeah, it's really good. I mean, he's he's uh, he describes it perfectly. I mean, it is uh, it it's Jack Bauer. It, if it's Michael Mann doing a Jack Bauer film, but it's true and true. David Mamet. I mean, the screenplay's fantastic on it, and it's uh, it's one of Kilmer's best films. I I really think more people need to check that one out. Well, yeah, um, and then I'll get to, get to talk about Glenn Glary. Glenn Ross, then, because we're doing Mammoth. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree 100%. <laughs> There's another one that I saw on the list the other day I want to kind of get to sooner than later, and it came up in a recommendation, I think, beginning of last year, but it was that Star 80 film. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've been, I was kind of perusing the list the other day when uh, we got this one in, and I was adding Spartan on there, and I'm like, holy cow, we need, we need to really just start hitting some of these things. Um, I think we accidentally put a theme together for this month by just, you know, choosing those three films. Um, it'll be curious, like how many we can just kind of power through of, uh, the, the big ones that, um, I think will provide some interesting conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also I want to, uh, extend a thank you to everyone who reached out. Um, we had some really bad weather around where I live. Uh, people did check on me. Luckily I'm, a little further north than all that. Um, luck, um, unfortunately, thousands of people were not. Um, many are without power still and in the area a little south of me. Um, yeah, and, and our, our buddy Sammy is doing well too. So I just, you know, thank everyone for, for checking in on me. Um, Troy, you know how it is, man. In this area, it can be gnarly at times. And then you grew up in Kansas too, so it's like... Tornadoes are, uh, I mean, I can tell you some stories. I just, yeah, I'm we, sure went, you can. we went through a lot of it, but it, it's one of those things you do not, you know, take it for granted. And, uh, yeah, even living out in that area in like Clarksville, uh, actually kind of by you, we've seen a couple of tornadoes, um, touch down in Louisville. Yeah. So, it's, it, it could be gnarly just, you know, how the, the weather is around here. Um, I mean, the other day it was like 65 degrees and then today it was, you know, 30. So it, it can get crazy and all that pressure change is not good. So, uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to say thanks for everyone for reaching out and checking in, but we literally lost power for five seconds and that was like the worst of it. So, yeah. Um, I, hey, it's, I was really touched to see everybody kind of reaching out to you, knowing about the geography. It, it really is kind of cool. The community we've kind of built just off of a podcast the simple fact that we have all these different countries who are listening um, still boggles my mind. 
but we appreciate all of you. Um, and, and it's nice, you know, when these events happen, everybody is just kind of reaching out to check in on us. I mean, that's, um, I love that kind of interaction, man. Yeah. I mean, it's nice that we've got good people <laughs> listening. Yeah, two weeks ago, someone sent me, you know, a PlayStation three. And then, you know, this week people were checking in on me. So it's a little humbling to be honest with you, but, uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. Um, so thank you. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've also, I, I feel like in the email box, we're getting way more, Hey, can we advertise on your podcast kind of thing? Uh, the answer is no, unless, um, you make Swedish fish, uh, or something that we're going to use like Swedish fish. I mean, it, you don't even have to pay us like real money. You can just send us Swedish fish. Yeah. I'm talking yeah, to the would- company that is making Swedish fish right now. Yeah. If they're listening. Yeah, full disclosure, you and I have talked about not ever really wanting to do anything like that. This is not a a, a monetary a monetary yeah. thing at all. And I get a little bit disappointed when podcasts do go that route. Um, I understand why they do. Look, I totally get it, and that's fine. Uh, luckily for you and I, we don't have to supplement this with anything. So it's totally a hobby. We're going to keep it that way. Um, you know, we might advertise someone else's podcast on here uh, to help out because I know it is really hard just to get heard. Um, You know, we're still relatively really small um, and we will help, you know, podcasts that we like. That's kind of our first and foremost sort of deal is we would never advertise another podcast that we wouldn't listen to ourselves. So, um, you know, if you ever hear, anything like that, that's because it kind of passed both of our, um, kind of approval processes. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're not here to make money. No, we're, you know, you and I to. are here to, <laughs> to talk about movies and enjoy speaking to each other for two hours and having a conversation with the community that we, that we have. And that's about it really, you know, nothing more, nothing less. No, absolutely. So that, that's why we love talking about VHS files podcast. Um, I think recently I've been listening to the mixtape, uh, podcast really good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, uh, gentleman's guide to midnight cinema, which should be coming back here in a few weeks. I think they've been working behind the scenes. Yeah. There's a lot of great shows out there. Nine of the living podcast. We love, um, those folks we've known them for years, but yeah, we're just we're super happy to participate in this. And, and Brad, if anybody else wants to uh, send us feedback like Kevin and Arnie or even give us some more suggestions for the ever growing list of bombs that we need to talk about, how yeah. do they get a hold of us? Uh, that's not a bomb pod at Gmail dot com. Um, at some point in time, I think we'll do like a listen request month or something like that. So if there's something you really, really want us to do, maybe we'll do like a lottery system where we'll throw all of them in a hat and pick four out for the month or something. We'll do something like that at some point in time. But uh, yeah. And then we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Troy does a hell of a job messaging people on Facebook. So if you message him on that, he will get back with you. Within 24 hours. I've been, that was my commitment to myself. If somebody sends us a (laughs) message, I will try and respond within 24 hours. Um, Yeah. And uh, we're going to go, we're getting back to Cowboy Bebop. Um, You know, we've had some, stuff happening and I got sick and all this stuff. So we're, we will return to that and finish that. Of course I canceled the uh, Netflix show. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about uh, when we get to that one. Actually the, the right, the main writer of the show uh, died today. So, Oh really? So yeah. Dang it. Sorry. I didn't mean to bring us down to the very end. 
There you go, man. Way to go. All right. Well, listen, I don't know if you're hearing our lovely voices in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening. We are super appreciative that you came to hang out with us. Please go check out Hot Rod. It's not a bomb. You're going to laugh a lot. And if you're playing along, go watch Popstar and hear our thoughts next week on another Lonely Island film. My safe word is whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>